welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is a special day because I have a guest. My friend Amanda, who I've talked about on the podcast a lot, is here in Miami with me for the week. And so we are working out, working remotely, cooking really good food, having a good time. She's buying me coffee every single day. So it's awesome. I'm winning. So hi, Amanda. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. So I've talked about Amanda before. I talked about our climbing a mountain adventure. I've referenced many times where we've had conversations that have been really pivotal in my life. And so I thought, well, she's here. I really want her to be able to tell her story about her life um, with health and fitness and kind of where she came from. She has a transformation story all of her own. And I think there's a lot of power in her story, especially because her upbringing in her childhood is very different than mine. So she has a perspective that's different than mine and maybe more similar to a lot of you who are listening. So Amanda, um, she and I met at F45 and I found out that she went to the CrossFit gym that my then husband went to. And then one day after class, she told me that she too had a big weight loss story and that's kind of where we bonded. And then she just proceeded to hold my hand through all of my life's craziness in the past couple of years. (laughs) even down to the present moment. So um, we did our first event. I was just asking her, like, what was the first thing we did together? And she came up to me at the gym and said that she was going to do, what was it called? Fight for air. The fight for air climb up the U.S. Bank building in downtown Minneapolis. Yeah. And you signed up just because someone was like, hi, you want to sign up? Yeah. I walked by a table in the Skyway and they were giving out free (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts. So I thought... (laughs) I need more t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I should do this. Yeah. So then she's like, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, I want to do it. And and then we had to form a team name. <laughs> Which we thought the High Steppers would yes. be a great team yes. name. So we're the team High Steppers. There was two of us on the team. Yep. And we High Stepped it up and down a bunch of times. I think we were shooting for like five, five, five times up and down, 32-ish uh, floors, and we ended up doing like seven, so I felt like we crushed that goal, even we though did. we had no idea what the goal was. You know, you have to set the bar somewhere and then just kind of yeah. shoot for it and have no idea sometimes. Yeah, and we got style points, and you got a cowboy hat, <laughs> and I remember there was like nothing bunt cakes at the end, which was super counterproductive, <laughs> like, here, you burn calories, eat crap. We're like, yeah. Winning. And actually, I got on a plane later that day and came to Miami. I remember that. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So A good day. It's just all connected. So, (laughs) um, Amanda's uh, an adventurer. She's a lot more of an adventurer than I am. She's done um, three Ironmans. It's not Ironmen. It's Ironmans. Right. Ironmans. Yeah. And And a woman who's done an Ironman is still an Ironman. Oh. Yeah. Really? That's a thing. Yep. Wow. We just, that's what we say. Okay, um, and uh, ultra two ultra marathons and eight marathons, and she has three kids and a full time job, and she's super duper busy, but she finds time to do hard things. Yep, lots of them. So, 
I want to just kind of get started. I asked Amanda earlier if she'd do this podcast and kind of tell a little bit about her history with food and fitness starting with her childhood. And she references many, many times her childhood growing up in Fridley. Now, if you're not familiar with Minnesota, Fridley is just a little suburb. Inner ring suburb, north side. Yeah. But she will say like, I'm just, I'm just a kid from Fridley. We we lived in the, (laughs) on the, in the alley. And so I have this mental image of like eight year old curly haired Amanda in a pink canopy bed, which was all the rage in the eighties, like in the alley, literally in the alley next to the garbage can by the garage. And that is where I picture like after school, Amanda doing her homework on the pink canopy bed in the alley. Is that how it was? Um, no, there was no, there was no pink canopy bed. Uh, my bed was very simple, you know, more of just the twin mattress on the frame thing. And it was inside an apartment. But oh, I did damn. live in several apartment complexes. I think three. Uh, I had a single mom and we didn't have a lot of money. But yes, I often lived next to an alley or, you know, something very nice like that. And I had a lot of friends in the neighborhood and that's when kids you know, spent a lot of time outside. So I just have a lot of memories of like chasing kids up and down the alley and cars and dumpsters and all the things that come along with alleys. So yeah. So your childhood in the alley, (laughs) my mental image is a little off, but, um, but Amanda and I bonded over, you know, massive weight loss. And so I think it's interesting to find out like how in your childhood, your relationship with food, what it was like. So if you could just tell everyone Tell everyone what your history with food and what it was like growing up in your house with meal times and foods and snacks and your relationship with food. I feel like my history with food. I, I you asked me if I ever remember, um, you know, not having tendencies to eat um, or sort of abnormal food behaviors, and and I, frankly, I. I always remember wanting to overeat on sweets and sneak eat, um, even young, young age. So like six, seven, eight years old, um, you know, asking my mom to buy the sweets at the store, coming home. She was single. She worked a couple jobs all the time. So I had a lot of time alone. I was an only child and I would sit in front of the TV. I would eat, you know, three consecutive bowls of cinnamon toast crunch. Mm-hmm. I would eat all the icing packets out of the toaster strudel box before I ate the strudels themselves. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd, Just the icing? Yeah, and I'd wreck the whole box, but, I mean, eventually <laughs> I'd get to the dry strudels, right? Oh, my God. So gross. <laughs> no self-control, I mean, right? Life is short. Eat the icing first. Remember the berry ones where the icing was blue? Oh, yeah, no, I never oh, did that. No, I just straight-up strawberry cream cheese, <laughs> oh my white gosh. icing. So gross. <laughs> But any any variety of that, oh, God, spending all my childhood, you know, pennies and coins and stuff, walking down to the Amico, buying any candy I could get my hands on. I was just always, like, a kind of a high, just a high-strung, sugared-out kid. <laughs> and, I mean, my mom tried to feed me well, but, she, you know, she didn't know a lot. I just think that parents around then didn't have as much education as most do now or awareness so I took advantage of the situation always asking for the stuff and just I don't know not not good behaviors I I wouldn't say it laid a good foundation for what was to come and you know convenience foods like that were kind of just starting to become a big thing I remember in the 80s 
um, there was always some kind of a new like snack bar, and that's when like fruit roll ups and gushers and all that stuff came out. And oh so God, I love gushers, super hyper palatable. My mom <laughs> clipped coupons, and the only time she ever bought processed food was if there was a double coupon for it and it was on sale. So like I remember she'd get peanut butter boppers, and they were like these crunchy peanut butter granola bars. But we got them exactly one time because with the coupons they ended up being super cheap. But so we didn't have access to the hyper processed stuff. Mm. I can only imagine the damage I would have done if I had been able to get that stuff. Mm-hmm. Holy cow! Yep. I'm so jealous yep. of your of child Amanda. Child <laughs> Kristen is so jealous of yeah. your cinnamon toast crunch days. And running in the alley with the kids. Yeah, and yeah. the pink canopy bed that didn't exist. I'm so yeah. jelly of that. Yeah. So did your mom cook meals for you or? Sometimes, you know, she kind of had a few recipes that she would bust out once in a while if she had time. But I think, you know, the fact that she did work a lot um, to support us, it led to a lot of, you know, just quick fast food trips quick meals, microwaving things. She herself was always kind of on a quest to lose weight. Um, so a lot of like lean cuisines happened in our house and uh, yeah, like the little, little microwave half pizza things and any, there was slim fasts and whatever craze, rage, you know, food, diet foods were often found in our cupboards as well. Isn't it interesting that your mom was always on a quest to lose weight and did you ever see her successfully lose all of her weight? No. See, mine too. My mom was always on a diet and there was never any success. It was just always this grinding thing and unattainable thing. Yes. And in really kind of unhealthy ways. Yep. And the videos, the Jane Fonda videos, the you know, jazzercise once in a while. I think we had matching jazzercise outfits, like pink with the leg warmers and stuff at some point in my childhood. <laughs> There's a picture that exists. <laughs> I want to see that. Yeah. When did you, would you say that you realized that you had an issue with food or that you started to gain weight or you became conscious of the fact that how you were eating wasn't great or ideal? I think as I... As a lot of girls would probably say and experience, as I started to go through puberty, I uh, gained weight, um, you know, as in, in places that girls do, and um, I wanted to look pretty, I wanted to look cute. Um, I got into high school, freshman, sophomore in high school, I started to really kind of extremely edit my <laughs> eating behaviors and, and do uh you know, unhealthy things, you know, try to go for long periods of time without eating, try to lose weight. Um, a period of my teenage years, I did uh, binge and purge and, um, the consequences of that, uh, how it affected my eating habits just made it 10 times worse. Right. Um, all the stuff from my childhood where I would have a tendency to eat, overeat on sweets, you know, just got so much worse. So that was the first time really that I noticed major things wrong with my eating patterns and so did your mom notice did she try to interfere interject did she did you have any feedback about your weight or your eating habits I don't remember her ever being critical of my eating habits other than busting me a few times um, with the binging and purging and um, my mom gentle kind loving person just wanted the best for her baby I was really all she had I mean as far as family and um, her drive in life was to provide for me 
um, ultimately and to make sure I was okay. So of course she was concerned and did the things that a concerned parent would do, but, um, you know, ultimately it didn't work with me. Mm. I just moved on to some other addictive kind of extreme behaviors. Like what? Because I think it's common. Like kids tell the story of it starts with one vice, mm-hmm. moves to the next, mm-hmm. becomes something a little uncontrollable. So then what happens? Um, I moved on to drugs and alcohol smoking at a young age. I was 15, 16 years old and hit it hard. Um, during that time, I would continue to eat very poorly, gain weight. Um, I was just very insecure, escaping something, trying to control something in my life, trying to um, feel better about myself, but ultimately making that much worse too. So so you're in high school, you're overweight, you're, you have eating addictions, eating disorders, now you have a smoking habit, a drug and alcohol habit, mm-hmm. addiction. And so it's so hard to look at you now at 39 years old, fit, confident, healthy, happy, and ever imagine you completely bogged down by all of those things. All those things and still trying to be a perfectionist and please everybody and um, get good grades in school, which I did. Uh, You know, I was at the very top of my class uh, out of habit, I think. What's strange about it is I just wanted to be good at everything. I wanted to have everyone's approval. I wanted to be in good with the cool kids and the druggies. I wanted to be (laughs) the best band geek. I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to be the best daughter and please my mom. Um, But I also obviously had some deep-seated just you know, psychological things going on that I had dealt with for a long time. I was a shy kid. I was afraid of everything. Uh, Confidence was always a big issue with me. And I don't know if just trying to control that or improve it led me down the path of uh, trying to control, you know, my food and, and alcohol, drug use, obviously not a good thing. So landed me in uh, rehab three times uh, before I was 19. So three times and ended up getting sober when I was 19. So I'm going on 20 years of sobriety now. What a hoot. Woo! And how, so you went to treatment three times. So I'm pretty familiar with recovery and people that have been in recovery. And I'm always so curious to hear what was the kicker? What was the thing that got through to you after all of those, you know, valiant attempts? It's not like anybody wants to stay stuck. Not like anybody wants to really be miserable or in the throes of addiction. So what was the kicker for you that changed that addiction that that got you to recover, to be sober? I think the the flavor of it varies for most addicts, but ultimately it comes down to uh, a conundrum of you don't or can't imagine yourself living, continuing to live the way that you're living. And you also can't imagine yourself not living that way, right? You feel completely trapped, which is a very, very scary, dark place. Um, And, you know, for me, I had perhaps approached recovery. And I would say every time I went to uh, treatment, every attempt at quitting drinking that I or, or using drugs that I made, 
I had honorable intentions. I wanted to get sober. I wanted to feel better about myself. I wanted to clean up so that I could um, move on with my life and go to college and do things that, you know, most kids my age were doing. And some, certainly someone of my academic ability should have been able to go to school and continue on a career path. But uh, I tried to use willpower and control. And I think, you know, the good old AA methodology of, of you know, releasing control and admitting that you're powerless is a pretty key aspect to that. So once I was willing to do that, once I, I gave up uh, control and just started to look at each choice each day as a, as a special opportunity and not try to forecast out into the future, that it finally stuck for me. That's so cool. Yeah. I love hearing stories of recovery because, like you said, it's a scary, dark place. And I think people need to know know and continue to know and hear stories of people that have gotten out of that because it is possible recovery is possible and they're just moments where it feels impossible but the more the more people are willing to tell their story the more people are willing to share the fact that it is possible and recovery happens then that little bit of hope is really really powerful yeah I feel genuinely uh I, I feel grateful. I feel that I was given a gift of having that happen to me all very quickly and and dramatically at a young age and that I get a very, very special life perspective um, from that point forward of knowing that, you know, and feeling that even my worst days now are, are better than my best days then, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that, for that perspective. Yay. Yay. And now, so it's not uncommon that people who recover from addiction to drugs and alcohol um, transfer addict, as they would say, to, you know, the safer vice, which is food. A lot of people gain weight after they get sober um, because it's socially acceptable. It doesn't hurt anyone. And when you have an addictive personality, it's okay to move on to Cheetos um, because they're not a controlled substance and they're not hurting anyone and they're not, well, quote unquote, not hurting anyone, but... There's a lot of people I know that have beaten hardcore addictions to drugs and alcohol but cannot win the battle with food. And so you really you really kind of had you kind of were really screwed at a young age to yeah. have <laughs> addictions to all the things. So you get sober which you achieve know, achieve in all things. Yes, you were overachiever. <laughs> but you know, clearly the most dangerous of all of them, drugs and alcohol, you were able to overcome that at a young age. And so now you're now you're sober, now you're graduated high school, and then then what happened with your with your health, with your weight, with your relationship with food? Food is tricky because I mean even given my childhood history with the, with those behaviors, uh I, you can't just quit food, cold turkey. I, I mean, that is the gift of, of <laughs> drugs and alcohol, right? I mean, there is instant relief there. It's available to you when you do not do it. You know, there, there's many more gifts to follow later, but there is instant relief uh, from a lot of the pain and suffering. And, and with food, you have to, unfortunately, it's like, it's like forcing an alcoholic. Like you can't have all the booze you want, but you can only have one beer three times a day from now on right like if you're a food addict you still must eat (laughs) um so it's funny that you mentioned cheetos because 
in fact, I was in a car accident. One of the times I was arrested right after I graduated from high school, I was in a car accident and I had been eating Cheetos while driving at that moment. There was an open bag of Cheetos in my passenger seat and (laughs) I, uh, there was Cheetos all over the car when I picked it up from impound and and the interior was tan. And so there were all these little orange fingerprints all over my driver's seat because I had just been wiping my fingers on the seat. (laughs) That's so gross. So the food problems didn't happen after I quit. It was all concurrent. (laughs) Concurrent. All it was. (laughs) But is there anything grosser? Yeah. No, I know. Have you noticed at the grocery store that the protein bar section has just become a whole aisle? Protein bars are a huge industry and they're a staple in your diet. If you are trying to hit your protein goal, you're following a specific diet plan, so many of us use protein bars to supplement as snacks, as desserts, or just to get that extra protein bump. What you won't find in the grocery store are Built Bars. Built Bars are available online at builtbar.com. There are 18 different flavors, and these are unlike any protein bar that you have had before, I promise you. The texture is what sets them apart. They're a chewy nougat covered in 100% real chocolate. They have 18 flavors, and they have built bars that have nuts and built bars that do not have nuts. So the calories vary depending on the flavor you choose, but they all have between 17 and 19 grams of protein, and all of them are under 180 calories. My favorite flavor for sure is raspberry, which is a raspberry nougat covered in amazing dark chocolate. Warm it up in the microwave for about 15 seconds, and I eat it as dessert. It's delicious. Randy's favorite is cookies and cream. It's amazing. A a delicious chocolate flavor, also really good warmed up. The cookies and cream, 130 calories with 17 grams of protein and only four grams of sugar. So these are really great if you're low carb, if you're watching your sugar intake, but you need that protein bump. I highly recommend that you give them a try. You can use my code DESTINATIONBEGIN for 10% off. They have free shipping on all of their orders, and they also offer shipping protection for under a dollar that will make sure that your protein bars do not melt in transit. Highly recommend that. So give them a try today. They have a 100% money-back guarantee, but I promise you're going to love them. So I find myself heavy again, um, you know, riding the, the, the roller coaster of weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss. Um, I did it with my mom. We went to Weight Watchers together. Uh, we lost weight together when I was 18. We gained it back together. We were a package deal, very close. And we then signed up for this. I can't even remember the name of Medi something. Medi, oh. It was this four-pronged approach to weight loss, very expensive. You got to meet with a nutritionist every week and a, and a personal trainer and a doctor that would give you uh, weight loss, uh, appetite suppressant medication of some kind. And I feel like there was one more, maybe like a psychotherapist or something. There was a lot happening with that program. And in fact, it did work. So I, went, I had gained probably 50 pounds, and I lost most of that. So I was feeling better again. I was like a, just a baby bird leaving the nest of sobriety. I had gotten a, my first full-time job as a 19-year-old person, um, ironically, in the field of criminal justice and uh, juvenile probation. I was an office admin assistant. Really? Yes. Did you find so. your own files in there? <laughs> no, I, I just turned 18. So I was technically an adult when I got into trouble, but yeah, they hired me, uh, despite, you know, me 
uh, disclosing my my history maybe they thought that I would be good to connect with the kids so mm-hmm. one of my favorite stories that Amanda's ever told me and Amanda tells me a lot of stories that then I laugh but um, you know you don't want to glamorize the the horrible nature of addiction and the things that people do but she told me about getting arrested and they put her in the backseat of the police car and what did you do they hogtied me so that means they had I was very being a belligerent drunk and I didn't want to get arrested I was resisting arrest and they they handcuffed me and ankle cuffed me and stuck me horizontally in the back of the squad car so I was so angry I was going to show them, I guess, and I bit the freaking upholstery off the door of the back of the squad car. I ripped it with my teeth like an animal, and they brought me to the jail and took pictures of what I had done, and I got charged and convicted of criminal damage to property for that. Because so, you bit the door? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I damaged, damaged the police car. Yeah. Literally sitting next to a poised, confident... <laughs> Nine-year-old woman knowing that those teeth bit the door of a squad car. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad you don't do that anymore. No, haven't for a long time. (laughs) So you're out of high school. You are sober. You're, you finally lost your battle of the bulge with your, with your mom. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Because, um, I've seen pictures of you at your heaviest weight and, um, you know, when we, it seems like when we lose weight and gain weight and lose weight and gain weight, we never really get to a goal weight, but it seems like you got to a goal weight and then what happened? And this is like the common tale. Yes. I was feeling pretty good. Uh, I went to hula hands. If anybody, I think there's maybe some of those around in Minnesota still. And I, uh, sat at the bar as a sober person, and I ordered a cappuccino and a piece of cheesecake. Oh, excellent. <laughs> yes, and the bartender took a shine to me, and so we started dating, and Aww. we had uh, a little baby on the way. <laughs> so pregnancy was a new a new uh, frontier, and I just ate my way through it, gained 70 pounds. That pregnant, is a yeah. lot of Cheetos. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of cheetos, a lot of um, chow mein from Asia chow mein in Columbia Heights. If anybody is looking for a good, oh, a good Asian Chinese Columbia restaurant, Columbia Heights. Yeah. I don't know that anyone ever goes to Columbia Heights on purpose, unless they're going to pick up. Unless they're on their way to Fridley, right? <laughs> Friendly Fridley. <laughs> and um, I think the only thing you go to Columbia Heights for is that Chinese food and then like meth. I'm guessing what. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, one of my friends dated somebody in Columbia Heights, and I just remember looking at her and being like, Columbia Heights? Like, I didn't know anyone lived there. I thought just they made meth there and sold White Castles. Oh, my god. But gosh. anyway, that's another topic. <laughs> so you did the same thing I did. I gained a crap ton of weight when I was pregnant. It's, like, so much fun. Like, I can just eat whatever I want because mm-hmm. there's, a you know, there's something the size of a watermelon seed in my belly so i can eat the whole pizza instead of half the pizza or a quarter of the pizza do you know how many pounds you gained um i gained about 85 i think oh yeah i was i was already i was already heavy when i got pregnant like i was probably 180 pounds so actually no i was over 300 pounds when i gave birth so i gained over 100 pounds my last week of pregnancy, <laughs> I went in and the doctor was like, okay, it looks like you gained 10 pounds since last week. That's not possible. That must be an error. 
And I remember in that moment thinking about my week of laying on the couch, drinking Mountain Dew and eating pizzas and thinking like, no, it's probably right about what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right to me. Oh, man. <laughs> Surprised Stephen didn't come out holding a can of Mountain Dew. <laughs> doing, doing the Dew? Yeah, with like a Pizza Hut logo like on his ass. <laughs> like, do you know, do you know Pizza Hut's new uh, slogan? Nobody pizzas like the hut. What? Yeah. What Somebody came up with that in a Sorry. meeting. They yeah, and they were around. like, yeah. Yeah. That's a freaking good idea. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Hey, send send a gift card to that guy in marketing who came up with this. This is brilliant. Don Draper. <laughs> Somebody said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, good to know. So that's when you gain most of your weight with baby number one. Baby one. Yep. So then what happened? Uh, like I was just saying, and then what and happened? And then what happened? Well, I gave birth, beautiful, healthy child, and I... Um, it was hard uh, living after that. Um, my fiance and I didn't have much, and we just were kind of playing the new parent young people game of um, tag team with not having daycare. So he'd work like the night shift, I'd work the day shift. And, really? You know, we were like design on a dime on our house that we financed like 105% in early oh, 2000s, geez. like the rest of the world, and Columbia Heights. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean... Oh. No, it's okay. You lived there, too. Well, yeah, it's right next door to Fridley. I did mean, you, you know. deal meth? No, I did Oh, okay. <laughs> You're busting all my stereotypes. No! <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was a struggle, but I was feeling, like, motivated, you know, in my life. Like, I was going to get things together. I was still sober. I had a baby. I had a house. I had, you know, someone I was engaged to, and um, I was also going to lose weight and get healthy, so... You know, breastfeeding helps with that. Um, you burn a lot of calories doing that. So that in conjunction with Weight Watchers for the second or third time. Points. Yes, points, tracking points. It's brilliant. Yes. Uh, worked great for me. And uh, I, I loved it. And I got down to a, a pretty low weight for me. So I felt, I felt great. Yeah. You know, Weight Watchers, now I think it's called the W or something, but... Mm. Truly, when people ask me when they're going to start losing weight or if they, what's the best way to do it, I, I recommend Weight Watchers all the time. Because it's balanced, it works, it works with people's brains, and it's had a huge rate of success. I mean, you obviously can't do Weight Watchers, lose weight, and then go back to eating like an asshole, but it really does, it's really powerful. There's so many people that have had great weight loss success with Weight Watchers. I was probably doing Weight Watchers about the same time you were then, if it was in the early 2000s. Yep. Like 2003, yeah. And you go to your meeting and you have the weigh-in and you get the yeah. little star and you were like, I'll be a lifetime member someday. Account- I am a lifetime member. <gasps> yeah. You? Oh, I am. Oh, yeah. That's so exciting. Accountability. I think if you can find a few people that you connect with in the group, that's happened to me a few times, you know, a few yeah. different Weight Watcher groups I was a part of and um, I think it's a great program. So, so that worked very well for me. And then you had more babies. More babies, more get- weight gain every time but I improved a little bit each baby so the second one I only gained 65 pounds and lost it and then the third one I only gained 60 pounds and lost it and the doctor was mad at me for gaining 60 pounds the last one and I was like what are you talking about I'm on a quest for continuous improvement here like <laughs> I'm gonna have just like seven more babies I'm gonna be right in the like normal wheelhouse of, like waking <laughs> just my, watch me my last baby I'll lose weight the whole time <laughs> just see me so it was good to be done with babies and that's really I would say that's really where I got 
a lot more stable with my weight and consequently my fitness. And I would say fitness is the key there, you know, incorporating exercise. Yeah. So let's shift gears and talk about that because when I met you, you were already just a pro at all the things. Like you were such an adventurer, such a physically active person. And, um, you know, I love to do those things to a degree, but you were head and shoulders above me. So you go from all this dieting and now you have all of these kids and your healthy weight. And so how did you start with your fitness journey and become the iron man, iron woman, iron man that you are? (laughs) I think that as someone who, so, so I was missing something, a, after having three kids, I was staying home with my kids, um, my babies to raise them. And I was, I think there was a certain amount of boredom and a lack of engagement in the things I was doing day to day. I lived in South Minneapolis and around there, there's lakes and parkway and, you are surrounded by runners and bikers and walkers and people doing all the physical activities. And I really wanted like in on that lifestyle. I didn't, I I hadn't been a part of it in the past. I hated running. I was a smoker for many years. I had quit smoking. I wanted to be more active. And I, I honestly thought that if I became a runner, like in the magazine, I, I would turn into the svelte, you know, sleek runner girl. Yeah, too. just yeah. be emaciated, so skinny, I wouldn't have to work at it. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So I, I was too. definitely, like, looks motivated at some point. And yeah. I think we all have different reasons for getting into something. And I always tell people when they're asking questions about how'd you do it or why or what's my reason or figuring out their own reasons for doing things, it doesn't have to be a good one. <laughs> no. I mean, one of my reasons for like continuing a really hard race, the middle of an Ironman or something, it, it might be that my time is going to be posted on the internet and I don't want to be embarrassed, right? Somebody's watching my time right now and I don't want them to, I don't want to disappoint yeah, them. Vanity. Yeah, vanity. Vanity is healthy. It really is. It can, if you use it correctly. You can use it to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I shower. I don't shower because I feel like I should smell good. I shower because I don't want other people to think I smell bad. That's a good point. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Anyway, so what was your first what was your first fitness event? My first goal was to run a 5K. And I did that with the couch to 5K training plan that I had run across. I don't know, I've heard somebody maybe told me they were going to run a 5K. I think this was uh in 2011, July of 2011. And I think there was a real uptick in the amount of races happening around the Twin Cities and maybe around the country. And there was a real surge, it seemed like. So yeah, it was kind of trendy. Real, they got real popular all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. So I got caught up in that. I thought, I hate running so much. I was the person to make fun of people who ran. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, didn't. like, yeah, like what? Why would they be doing that? Why do they subject themselves to such misery? So stupid. It's the dumbest thing I ever thought. Um, and there I was, just eating my own words, thinking, yeah, I think I kind of like to do that. I'd really like to, I mean, run three miles sounds like impossible, The frankly. hardest thing in the entire world hardest when you've thing. never ran. The, three miles? That's yeah. forever. One mile. So long. It's like insane. I mean, down the block is hard enough. I, yeah, it was unthinkable, but... This plan seemed to be doable. Week one is just run 60 seconds, run 30 seconds, walk 60 seconds is how I think it goes. And you don't even so, have to run fast. Like, that's the no. thing with Couch to 5K. It's just, like, 
job. Hurry up. Yeah, it's just like do the gate. Yeah. So whatever that is for you. And make sure that you're comfortable in the gate. Don't sprint. Yeah. You know, for God's sake, just the gate. If it looks like you're jogging, <laughs> In a court of law, would someone say that was not walking? It was more than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I did that program too for my first one. And I remember like... Like you, it's just 30 seconds is really hard when you've never run at all, but then it builds. I still approach my workouts like that to this day. I, I talk myself into it. I say, well, you can just go out there and do what feels comfortable for today. You don't have to kill yourself because that can be a real motivation killer. If, yeah. if you think you have to go out there and just subject yourself to misery, no. then you're just not, not going to do it. Unless no, I you're won't just, go. You know. Unless you're the Randys of the world, then you're like, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> you know what Randy says before we go to a workout? He goes, you ready to kill it? And I'm always like, stop. Mm-mm. No, I'm not. No, it's an easy day. Easy I'm day. not there at the gym yet. So just stop talking. But that is, some people do approach everything that way. But I do. I have to lie to myself too. Like mm-hmm. all you have to do is go and just pretend. And then that makes me actually do it. So yeah, me too. Yep. First mile is all that, always the hardest. I always want to quit running in the first mile. I think, well, today is not the day. I'm not going to get my run done. <laughs> I'm like ultra marathoner and, you know, been out there putting in a lot of miles in my life. And still to this day, every mile, every first mile is like, uh, probably not going to happen today. <laughs> this is so gross. <laughs> so you did your first 5K. How'd you do? I great. I was shooting for 12 and a half minute miles and I did like nine minute miles. I went under 30 minutes my That's first insane. 5K. Yep. I think I ran a, I don't know, I ran like for five years before I ran a 5K in under half an hour. <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah. I had lost all my weight. People ask if I lost weight by running and doing all my exercise events, and I did not. I, I lost weight before I did them. In fact, I probably gained a little weight when I started doing longer distance events as an endurance athlete. You, you, you know, cause a huge impact on your appetite when you do things like that, when you do that enormous amount of cardio you eat a lot more and it's hard to balance it you know so yeah the fattest I ever was was when I was marathon training because I was starving all the time Mm -hmm. so true story so you did your first 5k you did really well and then then what then what'd you do then how'd you feel well I had the evidence that I could do this hard thing and I wanted to find some more hard things to do what's next what 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 do they got What, what what is this new world and who are these people, super cool people that I've yeah. met and friendships that I started to form? And it's not just exercise. It was training for life. It was proving to myself that I could, you know, sustain an effort through something that felt very difficult that in the moment, you know, you could feel like you wanted to quit, but you're going to press through and you're going to do it and you're going to finish. You're going to feel like a million bucks, like you won the won the championship you're the grand champion and the confetti's coming down (laughs) yeah it's all for you yeah it's it was an incredible feeling to accomplish something that I felt was that I thought was impossible at some point so first 5k that's a long way away from an Ironman so how did you go and how quickly did you go from 5k to Ironman because I've been running a long time and I haven't done an Ironman yet I don't even know that I ever will (laughs) You probably would if you knew how to swim. How to swim. <laughs> it's kind of important to know how to swim the swim. However, <laughs> Selena did not know how to swim very well. She could hardly make it from one end of the pool to the other, and she was crazy enough to sign up for an Ironman. So if 
it could be in reverse order. You could sign up for the thing and then out of necessity have to learn the other thing. Well, stranger things have happened, I guess. Yeah. But I think I was obsessed with the idea of it once I, you know, I went from 5K to another 5K to within like three or four months. It was the Team Ortho series of events. So uh, lots of participants lots of swag I could such col- good swag oh yeah collect the medals and the shirts and the costume I, races oh the monster dash was phenomenally very entertaining and we did the same monster dashes yeah. and the same marathons and we didn't know each other no it's like so cool yeah, yeah the running community in minnesota is really great because you know minnesota we have a lot of really great running we have great lakes to run around so there's a huge running community in minnesota and they come out and show up and do all the things so it is like you were saying, the friendships, the camaraderie, it's fun. It's a, it's fun to be a part of something. I think for me, I know we're talking to you, but I'm just going to talk about me for a minute. I always wanted to be a part of something. And running races was the thing that made me feel like I had an identity. I was a runner and I was a part of something. Like I'd show up at a start line and I belonged there because I was a runner. And I wasn't the fastest. I'm still not very fast. But it's really powerful, especially when you grow up as a fat kid. Or you're just never in sports. Like, I was never in school or sports. So I was never on a team. I was never a part of anything. I never had a start line or a finish line. And so for a lot of people, I think, especially women, um, when there aren't a lot of things in adult world to do as a team or to do for sports, running is awesome. All you need is shoes. And then you have these great running groups and these races to do. So I always tell people when they're, like, not sure what they should be doing, it's like, do a 5K or just you know, try it out, try a couch to 5k program or sign up for a costume race and just run walk it. But it is like a huge opportunity for identity. And then for you, it seems like it was like the launching off point. For sure. I think part of what I got uh, hooked on was in addition to the, the community and just the vibes, it's the process of subjecting yourself to showing up to being afraid, potentially nervous. Uh, You have your own expectations about your performance. It doesn't mean that you're at the front of the pack. Maybe you're a middle of the pack or the back of the pack runner. It doesn't matter. But your competition is yourself. You maybe want to PR the race. You know know you're going to try hard for whatever it is, whatever your pace is. You're going to try to beat your last. You're going to do something hard. You're going to finish. You're going to feel awesome you're gonna go through some hard times it's the whole package it feels incredible and it builds your confidence and your sense of ability to do hard things like nothing I had ever experienced in my life yeah no running is hard and sustaining especially if you're trying to PR and you're trying to run faster than you've ever run before for a sustained period of time that's that's hard doesn't get a lot harder than that no just doesn't and it's a great analogy for life next water stop is what we say so I was at a triathlon one time and uh, it was hot and there were like flies everywhere and just like buzzing around your head and just misery and coming at you from every angle and and my friend Megan was in front of me I didn't know her then but that's where we met and she she would go and she was in front of me a little ways and she'd put her arms in the air and she'd yell back at me next water stop and that was really like her main focus, not thinking about the 70.3 miles that we were traveling. It was a half iron, uh, but just thinking about getting to the next water stop, which was just a mile away, right? That's a perfect way to approach life, to chunk things up. Anything you're trying to accomplish, a work task, a weight loss goals, 
just get to the next water stop. Don't think about what the long-term goal is, the, the end point is, uh, destination, what the destination is. Right? Right. Your destination is just that next little spot that you need to get to. Yeah, it's Don't. true. I've talked about that on the podcast in many different analogies of if you just keep your eyes on the finish line, it's demoralizing and it's exhausting and it's too hard. But if you can look down at the next little tree root, the next little sign, the next little landmark, the next water stop, all of a sudden it's doable. What is an Iron Man? What is involved? So an Iron Man is a full length triathlon. It's uh, a swim of 2.4 miles, a bike ride of 112 miles, and a run of a full marathon, so 26.2 miles. So 140.6 miles altogether. And triathlons I think for me were very scary I wasn't really a cyclist I wasn't a swimmer I wasn't any of those things I had to watch YouTube videos about proper like swimming technique I felt like I was drowning every time I went to the pool I hated it but again more practice at doing hard things (laughs) more practice at learning discipline you're not going to sign up for an Ironman and not do it not be prepared it's too big of an undertaking you have to be prepared you can't show up unprepared you you die so <laughs> you probably would legit die. <laughs> you might actually die. Plus it's seven hundred dollars. It's seven hundred dollars to sign up. It's not oh, like, wow. oh, I just signed up for the t shirt. I mean you <laughs> you get you get an expensive t shirt. Yeah, do you get so, a t shirt? You do. You get a finisher shirt. The big thing you get with an Iron Man is the backpack. You get a backpack every race you do. And Ooh. you get to wear the backpack around and be like, Yeah, I did an Iron Man and my backpack says so. <laughs> so you can't just buy the backpack? Uh, there just... are backpacks for sale, but it's pretty bad to buy it to to wear oh. Iron Man gear if you have not done one. That's that's yeah. a kind of a sin. I kind of want to just mm-hmm. now because you said well, that. <laughs> so uh, one of my good friend Laura, she did me and Laura and Selena. We all did our first Iron Man together, and we were great training buddies. It was a wonderful, wonderful bonding experience. Her dad Terry is just a character, and he came to the Iron Man, and he was so supportive of us. He just loved us to death, and just so much enthusiasm for what we were doing. He went into the Iron Man shop and he just bought up all the Iron Man gear. And Laura's like, Dad, you cannot wear that around. You have not done Iron Man. He's like, no, Laura, I want everyone to ask me about it because I want to tell them about my daughter and how proud I am of her. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, so he proudly wore the gear and he just wanted the world to know about his Aww. his baby girl that could do anything and accomplish Aww. the impossible. So That's so cool. Yeah, so I, I'm not mad at that. No, you can't be mad at that. <laughs> How old were you when you did your first Iron Man? I was... Uh, oh, you have to do math. Oh, man. 34. 34. So I had three little kids. They were 5, 7, and 12, I think. And you asked how I fit it in, what life was like. I um, part. I think the fourth, the fourth discipline of the Iron Man training is not... It's swim, bike, run, and then it's scheduling it's like the puzzle pieces sitting down every Sunday night and figuring out how am I going to get all my life things into this week in addition to my training so it boils down to volume accumulated fatigue is the name of the game when you're doing a really long distance event like that how many hours are you spending on your bike a week how many hours running how many hours swimming so you you know when you're peaking for an Ironman typically you're doing 15 to 20 hours a week for those final uh you know month or so before the race 15 to 20 hours Mm -hmm. a week that's a part-time job dude yep but 
you find a lot of peace and uh, gratification, at least I did in the process. It's, you know, a lot of it's low intensity. You're not going out and sprinting. You're not just hitting it really hard. Your speed work is pretty limited. So I could go down the basement at three in the morning before anybody was up. No one needed me at three in the morning, right? Everybody's sleeping and I could watch Real Housewives and ride my bike on the bike trainer in the basement of my house or listen to some good music and just kind of rock out, drink some coffee, have it on the little coffee table, you know, next to me. It was you find you find joy enjoyment in the process uh it's really about the process right they say it's a 140.6 mile victory lap but the all the work goes in yeah trust your training just like a marathon just like any race really so yeah it's really that is so true when you do any kind of endurance thing like showing up is not the hard part doing it race day is not the hard part it's everything leading up to it and so what do you say to somebody who says i don't have time to do what I want to do to tackle that hard thing. I would say that if something is important to you, if you prioritize it, you will find the time. The time does exist. Um, you know, I found tricks, ways to arrange the puzzle pieces. I would get up very early, like I said. I would, you know, I worked downtown at the time, so I could walk really fast in the skyway over a lifetime and swim for 15 to 20 minutes, which was all I really wanted to swim because I don't really like swimming that much. <laughs> quick shower off, throw my hair in a bun and power walk back to work and in over my lunch hour. Uh, sometimes I would run or bike to work. Normally I would run to, to or from work and I could run from downtown to South Minneapolis. It was five to seven miles and I could almost beat the bus because I wouldn't have to mess around. You know, I just change and run there. So you find tricks you find ways of squeezing it in and sometimes my family I would have done all three I would have biked in the morning I would take in the bus to work swam over my lunch hour and run home and nobody noticed I was home cooking dinner and all my workouts were done and I had two to three hours of training under my belt for the day and I felt good and you know the energy comes if you spend the energy you get it back it's a good return on investment people think that if you exercise a lot that uses up your energy and you just be tired later it's really the opposite so I encourage people to find ways to fit it in and do something that you get some enjoyment out of. You know, I I do like watching TV and drinking coffee and riding my bike on the bike trainer. You, you, you figure out ways to do it and you just get it done. And, and accountability is a big deal too. So signing up for the event is a great way. That's, that's something really great about races. Mm-hmm. You sign up for it, you're obligated, you're on the hook for it. You get a coach, get someone who's gonna write out a plan for you and say, hey, are you, are you doing the plan? Are you executing the plan? And then most people you know, aren't gonna pay for something and then say, nah, I'm not doing the plan. So how do you think um, all of this fitness stuff like, what has it done for you as a person, as a as a human being? Because, like, you tell the story of your childhood and you had all of these insecurities and all of these challenges and you went through addiction and recovery and overcoming, you know, being raised in an alley. <laughs> she <laughs> told me the story. It was a nice alley. <laughs> I have a lot of fond memories. I don't want to misconstrue that. <laughs> alley. And then yesterday, you know, she told me the story of, like, you had a job at a car wash in high school and you got promoted. You were one of the first females to ever be a car dryer, but then you got fired yeah, for wiper. smoking pot. Yeah. And now you have, Amanda has a really cool, awesome, challenging, awesome job. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a career woman who 
kicks butt and slays. And, and so how has all of your fitness and all of your, your lifestyle changes, how has that contributed from getting you from being the fired pothead at the car wash to the respected (laughs) (laughs) fired pothead? I'm writing your lifetime movie right now. I love it. It's very dramatic. I love it. I would say that on first glance, people might say, oh, she's really into exercise or, or something like that, or she's always been this way. And I'm here to say that it's not just exercise. It's the people that you meet doing it. It's everything hard that I've done up to this point. And I think a lot of people can say this, but I confirm it absolutely, is that you have like a bank account of hard things. And as long as you continuously put yourself out of your comfort zone and keep searching for hard things to do, to make a lifestyle out of it, it will touch you in every corner of your life. Everything hard goes into your bank account of hard things and reaffirms your ability to continue to do hard things. And that's my my favorite thing. And it's become a lifestyle. Yeah, it becomes your identity because when something hard comes up or something scares you, you can pull back on all of these moments when you have overcome the hard thing and you can say, well, I do hard things. That is who I am. Like you change your identity. The idea of you being shy and lacking confidence is like doesn't jive at all with the woman that I know. And so you've totally changed not not who you are. What what I think what it enables you to do is to actually show – who you really are because you're right. not hiding behind or creating a fake persona you're right. actually going in and actualizing Amanda into existence into the person that you're supposed to be that you know when we're young we don't know what to do so we hide we cover up we yes. compensate and when you go out and just do you and prove to yourself that look at what I can do I have value I have merit and it's just a race I just ran miles from point A to point B and I got a stupid t-shirt but what I just did is I exercised my Amanda-ness. And now I can go do that with my kids, with my job, with the next challenge that comes up. It's so powerful. Yeah. I think it. the more you do things like that, the more it redefines what your definition of impossible is. You know, you're way more likely to do things that are completely outside your comfort zone that you formerly at some point in your life would have said is impossible. That's nothing you could ever do. That is the the best gift. You know, I am way more likely just to stretch and reach and say, ah, sounds really hard, but what's the worst case scenario? Yeah. I might fail. Failure is a great exercise. I've failed. I almost um, DNF'd a, an Iron Man. One Iron Man I did. I quit in the middle and then I unquit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was disappointing. It wrecks you. And sometimes you really screw up and you fail and you fall on your face. And that's all valid and great and teachable and helps you, helps you in the long run. So you have kids, you have three kids. And I think it's really interesting. I hear a lot of women talk, women speak out there in lots of different arenas about this mom guilt and, you know, balancing being there for your kids, being a good wife and mother, or for single moms, being a, just being a good mom, being the breadwinner, all these roles that we have to play um, and be in our lives, but also, you know, doing hard things, doing things that test us and that help us to self-actualize. How... 
talk about how you've balanced being Amanda the mom, Amanda the wife, and Amanda the kick-ass, hard thing doer. <laughs> I have been a mom now for almost 18 years. And I've been every, I feel like I've been all the varieties of mom. I've been a young uh young mom, a 20 year old mom. I've been a, and, and working hard and just trying to make ends meet and struggle. And I've been a stay at home mom for uh, five years almost. And uh, just taking care of my babies and doing the household tasks and trying to still feel satisfied in, in what I was doing. And um, I have been a working mom and an athlete mom now. And what I hope my kids see and glean from having me and uh, the way I am in their life is that they, that I want them to have a personal investment in their own passions, in their own identity, and that it's not tied necessarily to someone else, that uh, you are free to, to you know, chase, chase your goals to, to chase your own identity, to chase your own hard thing. And I hope they see me doing that and that they can find that in their own lives. And I would never pressure them to do a specific thing, but to just, just find that, just find that for themselves. That would be my greatest wish for them. Yeah. And I think it's cool when I just am around you and them that, I mean, they're very independent. They're very outgoing, little versions of you is what I see um but I just think it's so cool that they get to have the experience of a mom who is a person and not just mom and that she goes and does really cool and interesting things and that means that they can imagine themselves if they want to be a mom and a wife in their lives that that doesn't mean that they can't also still have their own set of interests I think our generation, like for sure my mom and her generation and the generations before, the opportunities weren't there, but also there was a there was a lack of balance. I know, you know, my mom just never felt like she could go do anything for herself. Like it was just too it just wasn't a thing. It wasn't allowed and and I think now we're just getting as women we're getting to understand more that not only is it okay to, but it's really important to to invest in ourselves so that we can be really content with who we are as human beings so we can bring the best version of ourselves to our families and our loved ones too and then they get to see that and know that they don't have to sacrifice who they are for anything for any role that they want which I think is the ultimate empowerment for women is you can have anything you want and it shouldn't have to cost you everything else you know having it all you can and you get to pick what that is so I think that's really cool and you live that out Thanks. I tell everyone Amanda's the greatest woman alive um, because she is. Um, <laughs> there aren't very many people in my day-to-day life that I jive with the way that I jive with Amanda and that like, I always say there are people in life that you can hear. So Amanda could say a sentence to me and 10 other people could say that sentence. But the way Amanda operates and speaks, like I can hear her voice very clearly and other people could say the same thing and it just doesn't it doesn't hit me the same way. And so when you meet people like that where your soul is receptive to them um, and you can see like Amanda leads by example and Amanda doesn't tell me anything that she herself hasn't already learned or had to come to understand. Um, 
it's really, really cool. And it's really, really special. So I'm super lucky to have Amanda in my life and in my Miami condo and on my podcast. And I'm lucky too. That's super rad. So that's all I have for you today. So happy I got to have Amanda on the episode. I've talked about her a lot. She's really inspired me a lot and had a lot to do with my own hard things. And hopefully you've listened to this and been inspired to go find some hard things of your own to go and try. And we would love to hear about them. I'd love to hear from you individually. If you have something you want to say, suggest, argue, or if you have podcast topic ideas, or just simply want to talk about your personal weight loss and health and fitness goals, you can email me, Kristen, at destinationbegin.com. You can always find me on Instagram too. I'm posting there all the time. That is destination underscore begin. And you can also just check out my website, destinationbegin.com. <laughs>